0: Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 25 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. Forks of Delaware in Pennsylvania, July 1745. Lord's Day, July fourteen. Discoursed to the Indians twice. Several of them appeared concerned and were, I have reason to think, in some measure convinced by the divine spirit of their sin and misery, so that they wept much the whole time of divine service. Afterward, discoursed to a number of white people then present. July 18, preached to my people who attended diligently beyond what had been common among these Indians, and some of them appeared concerned for their souls. Lord's Day, July 21, preached to the Indians first, then to a number of white people present, and in the afternoon to the Indians again. Divine Truth seemed to make very considerable impressions upon several of them, and caused the tears to flow freely. On this day, my interpreter and his wife publicly professed their faith in Christ, being the first hopeful converts among the Indians. They have both been awakened to a solemn concern for their souls have to appearance been brought to a sense of their misery and undoneness in themselves, have both appeared to be comforted with divine consolations, and it is apparent that both have passed a great, and I cannot but hope, a saving change. It may perhaps be satisfactory and agreeable that I should give some brief relation of this man's exercises and experience since he has been with me, especially since he is employed as my interpreter to others. When I first employed him in this business in the beginning of the summer of 1744, he was well fitted for his work in regard to his acquaintance with the Indian and English languages. As well as with the manners of both nations and in respect to his desire that the indians should conform to the manners and customs of the english and especially to their manners of living but he seemed to have little or no impression of religion upon his mind and in that respect was very unfit for his work being incapable of understanding and communicating to others many things of importance, so that I labored under great disadvantages in addressing the Indians. For want of his having an experimental as well as more doctrinal acquaintance with divine truths, and at times my spirits sunk and I was much discouraged under this difficulty, especially when I observed that divine truth "'made little or no impression upon his mind "'for many weeks together. "'He indeed behaved soberly after I employed him, "'although before he had been a hard drinker "'and seemed honestly engaged as far as he was capable "'in the performance of his work. "'Especially, he appeared very desirous "'that the Indians should renounce their "'heathenish notions and practices.' and conform to the customs of the Christian world. But still, he seemed to have no concern about his own soul, until he had been with me a considerable time. Near the latter end of July 1744, I preached to an assembly of white people, with more freedom and fervency than I could possibly address the Indians with, without their having first obtained a greater measure of doctrinal knowledge. At this time, he was present and was somewhat awakened to a concern for his soul, so that, the next day, he discoursed freely with me about his spiritual concerns and gave me an opportunity to use further endeavors to fasten the impressions of his perishing state upon his mind. I could plainly perceive for some time after this, that he addressed the Indians with more concern and fervency than he had formerly done. But these impressions seemed quickly to decline, and he remained in a great measure careless and secure until sometime late in the autumn of the year following, when he fell into a weak and languishing state of body and continued, much disordered, for several weeks together. At this season, divine truth took hold of him and made deep impressions upon his mind. He was brought under great concern for his soul, and his exercises were not now transient and unsteady, but constant and abiding. So that his mind was burdened from day to day, and it was now his great inquiry, what he should do to be saved. This spiritual trouble prevailed until his sleep in a great measure departed from him and he had little rest day or night, but walked about under great pressure of mind for he was still able to walk and appeared like another man to his neighbors who could not but observe his behavior with wonder. After he had been some time under this exercise while he was striving to obtain mercy, he says there seemed to be an impassable mountain before him. He was pressing toward heaven as he thought, but his way was hedged up with thorns so that he could not stir an inch further. He looked this way and that way, but could find no way at all. He thought if he could but make his way through these thorns and briars and climb up the first steep pitch of the mountain, that then there might be hope for him. But no way or means could he find to accomplish this. Here he labored for a time, but all in vain, He saw it was impossible, he says, for him ever to help himself through this insupportable difficulty. It signified just nothing at all for him to struggle and strive anymore. Here he says, he gave over striving and felt that it was a gone case with him as to his own power. And that all his attempts were and forever would be vain and fruitless yet. He was more calm and composed under this view of things than he had been while striving to help himself. While he was giving me this account of his exercises, I was not without fears that what he related was but the working of his own imagination and not the effect of any divine illumination of mind. But before I had time to discover my fears, He added that at this time he felt himself in a miserable and perishing condition, that he saw plainly what he had been doing all his days, and that he had never done one good thing as he expressed it. He knew he was not guilty of some wicked actions of which he knew some others guilty. He had not been accustomed to steal, quarrel, and murder, the latter of which vices are common among the Indians. He likewise knew that he had done many things that were right. He had been kind to his neighbors, etc. But still, his cry was that he had never done one good thing, meaning that he had never done anything from a right principle and with a right view, And now I thought, said he, that I must sink down to hell, that there was no hope for me, because I never could do anything that was good. And if God let me alone ever so long, and I should try ever so much, still, I should do nothing but what is bad. This Further account of his exercises satisfied me that it was not the mere working of his imagination, since he appeared so evidently to die to himself and to be divorced from a dependence upon his own righteousness and good deeds, to which mankind, in a fallen state, are so much attached, and upon which they are so ready to hope for salvation." There was one more thing in his view of things at this time, which was very remarkable. He not only saw, he says, what a miserable state he himself was in, but he likewise saw that the world around him, in general, were in the same perishing circumstances, notwithstanding the profession which many of them made of Christianity and the hope which they entertained of obtaining everlasting happiness. This he saw clearly, as if he was now waked out of sleep or had a cloud taken from his eyes. He saw that the life which he had lived was the way to eternal death, that he was now on the brink of endless misery. And when he looked around, he saw multitudes of others who had lived the same life with himself, persons who had no more goodness than he, and yet dreamed that they were safe enough, as he had formerly done. He was fully persuaded by their conversation and behavior that they had never felt their sin and misery as he now felt his. After he had been for some time in this condition, sensible of the impossibility of helping himself by anything he could do, or being delivered by any created arm, so that he had given up all for lost as to his own attempts and was become more calm and composed. Then, he says, it was borne in upon his mind as if it had been audibly spoken to him. There is hope. There is hope whereupon his soul seemed to rest and be in some measure satisfied, though he had no considerable joy. He cannot here remember distinctly any views he had of Christ, or give any clear account of his soul's acceptance of him, which makes his experience appear the more doubtful, and renders it less satisfactory to himself and others than it might be, if he could remember distinctly the apprehensions and actings of his mind at this season. But these exercises of soul were attended and followed with a very great change in the man, so that it might justly be said he was become another man, if not a new man. His conversation and deportment were much altered, and even the careless world could not but wonder what had befallen him to make so great a change in his temper, discourse, and behavior. Especially there was a surprising alteration in his public performances. He now addressed the Indians with admirable fervency and scarcely knew when to leave off. Sometimes, when I had concluded my discourse and was returning homeward, he would tarry behind to repeat, and inculcate what had been spoken his change is abiding and his life as far as i know unblemished to this day though it is now more than six months since he experienced this change in which space of time he has been as much exposed to strong drink as possible in diverse places where it has been moving as free as water and yet has never, that I know of, discovered any hankering desire after it. He seems to have a very considerable experience of spiritual exercise and discourses feelingly of the conflicts and consolations of a real Christian. This concludes episode 25 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd.